You are listening to Faith Church's sermon from this week. We are a church that is committed to loving Jesus for life and loving others to life. We hope that this message encourages you to follow Jesus with your whole heart. You put your right foot in, you put your right foot out, you put your right foot in, and you shake it all about. You do the hokey pokey and you turn yourself around. That's what it's all about. You put your left foot in, you put your left foot out, you put your left foot in, and you shake it all about. You do the hokey pokey and you turn yourself around. That's what it's all about. You put your right arm in, you put your right arm out, you put your right arm in, and you shake it all about. (laughs) You put your left arm in, you put your left arm out, you put your left arm in, and you shake it all about. You do the hokey pokey and you turn yourself around, that's what it's all about. There you go. You never thought you would hear the hokey pokey coming to church this morning, did you? Uh, you can thank me if you were by Chris or Landon and they were whistling the hokey pokey this past week because I was playing it often in the office to try to get that video put together. It's that little song and dance that tells us to put our left arm in or our right leg in or some other body part of our body into the circle, shake it all about, and then turn yourself about. It's an active and sometimes tiring little exercise that ends with the command, put your whole self in. When I think of that song and that dance, I'm reminded of another instruction. This one comes from the Apostle Paul that Landon read earlier. Therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship, to present your bodies as Paul's way of saying to put your whole self in. Many of us understand the idea of giving an offering when we were pre-COVID. We would pass the offering plate. There are plates and envelopes and we put our money on our check in our envelope and drop it in the plate. It represents an acknowledgement of God's blessings in our lives. It represents our commitment to the ministry of the congregation. It's a part of our worship. It's a way in which we open the windows of heaven to God and can bless us even farther. It represents for many an antidote to materialism. While a few could use some encouragement, most of us understand what it means to make an offering to the church. But all of us, without exception and some help, some help need some help with the idea of offering ourselves to God. I mean, are you asking me to, when the ushers come by the next time, to tell them to put it on the ground and stand in the offering plate, Pastor? Put your whole self in. No. You see, up here to my right, your left, is, I believe, right, yeah, um, is this table. It's an altar. It's a makeshift altar. It's a gray table underneath it, plastic table, but it's a makeshift altar. And so many in the Christian church today and in America today, and as we serve Christ, we put our right arm in but we keep the rest of us out. We put our left arm in, but we keep the rest of us out. We will certainly put our, I'm not going to do it, right leg in. I was going to do it, but not with these pants on, I'm not. And the right leg, or the left leg in, but we never really get, and I'm not going to do this either, on the altar. So in essence, what we do is we play hokey pokey with God. Put your right foot in or your right arm in. Shake it all about. Give him all of your right arm, but don't give him your whole self. Put your left arm in and put it on the altar and give him your entire left arm and shake it all about. 
but don't put your whole self in. The Apostle Paul has something to say to us. You see, most people don't come into this place, this sanctuary this morning, this worship service prepared to give our whole selves over to God. We brought sins that need to be confessed and cleansed before we leave. We brought questions that need answers and problems that need solutions. We brought burdens that need lifted and anxieties that need to be dispelled. And frustrations and depression and boredom and anxiety and preoccupations. All kinds of distractions to just allow us to put our left foot in. But don't put your whole self in. hard but dare I say I have not we have not worshiped until we have given our whole selves to God that's what it means to be a good steward of what God has given us would someone dare not give themselves wholeheartedly when they encountered the presence of God Would someone not fall at his feet, giving him their all if they were caught up in his splendor and his holiness? Would one put their whole self in if they felt the love and power of God Almighty? I would think so. So why do we do this song and dance 52 times a year and not put our whole selves in? Question I answer myself this week. Put my left arm in. I might even put my left and my right arm in at the same time. But don't ask for my left leg and my right leg. Wow. So why does this all-in stewardship matter? Why is it that we should be all-in Why should we offer our whole selves instead of an arm or a leg? Well, the Apostle Paul gives us some reasons. They're on your sermon outline that you can find in your bulletin. Um, It's, I believe, a white piece of paper. And so you can find it there, and there's some blanks there. And here's the first blank. We offer our whole selves to God because of his mercy. It's the number one reason why we do it. Listen to what Paul says. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Let me explain here what's happening. The Apostle Paul in the first 11 chapters of Romans, if you haven't read them, you should read them, because what he does is he sets up the church in Rome with a beautiful foundation of theological teachings. And so in Romans chapter 1 through 11, he teaches us all about theology. And you say, well, theology puts me to sleep. Well, you really need to know theology. Because if you don't know theology, you'll fall for anything. That's why theology is so important. If I don't know what's right and what's wrong in theology, I will fall for every teaching that comes down the pike, whether it's right or wrong. And so Paul lays these, 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 these things out in the first 11 chapters. And, and I'm not going to go through all of the theological base that he gives us. And so now basically what he's saying to the Roman church with therefore in this very first verse is, now, now, okay, now you got the theological issues down pat. Now you understand who God is, how God works. You get what he's doing. You get his, his message. You get all of that. Now, friends, now, friends, it's time to get in the driver's seat and actually live it out. Now it's not just what does so-and-so say about theology. No, this is now what does Brett Kendig do with his life because he knows the theology. And so the Apostle Paul starts off with that word, therefore. And anytime you see that word in Scripture, you can always look back. Now, sometimes you only look back to the next chapter. But in this case, you're looking back to the first 11 chapters. 
Because Paul's saying, listen, I laid it all out for you in 11 chapters. Now, he doesn't say 11 chapters because he didn't have all the numbers and all the pages that we have. The Greek didn't have all that. That was added later for us that need to be able to look up things. We, don't just, we can't just say turn into this page. And so the, theologically, he lays this out for the first 11 chapters. Then he says in chapter 12, all right, guys, now you got it. Now buckle the seatbelts and let's roll. Because knowing it isn't going to change that world. I can know a whole lot of spiritual facts. It isn't going to change my, my neighbor's heart one bit. I can know all the theology in the world. I don't, but I can. It isn't going to change anybody's heart. But boy, when we buckle the seatbelts and start doing what he's talking about in Romans chapter 12 to the end of Romans, woo! now we're going to make impact. And so therefore, it points back to the first 11 chapters. And Paul presents God's mercies as his strongest argument for giving ourselves to God. Listen to what Paul says. I urge you by the mercies of God to present your bodies on the altar. A living sacrifice. When we recognize what God has done through us, and, and when I say recognize, I don't mean for a glimpse of a minute. I don't mean that we come in and we see a, a stained glass or a cross on a picture or something, and for five seconds we remember, oh man, do you? I, I can't believe a Savior did. No, I mean that in our entire lives, the times that he protected us that we could have been in deep, deep trouble, the times that he showed grace when we should have in all, by all things been judged, the times when he should have given us what our, our actions deserve. And that's hell. And instead, he sheds his blood and says, come on in, the table is set. You can be a part of my family. When that becomes a part of our mindset for more than a glimpse of five seconds, for more than a glimpse of a, of a song that plays on the radio for three minutes, when it becomes every day we go up and we remember for almost 24 hours. Whew. I don't deserve the blessings that are around me. I don't deserve the food that's on my table. I don't deserve the things that are going on in my life. I don't deserve to even be in his family. And so the Apostle Paul starts with this as his strongest ornament. And he's basically saying, listen, Roman church, you guys are a bunch of sinners. It's not a very pleasant message. That sin has deathly consequences, but while we are still sinners, hmm, I think it says that in the early parts of Romans, doesn't it, Pastor Landon? Yes, it does. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He took our place, taking upon himself the consequences and the punishment of our sin so that now there is no condemnation for us. We are saved from the fires of hell for eternal presence of God. This is an act of grace and mercy, and it is the ultimate gift. And all too often, we forget. We somehow convince ourselves that we're good enough, strong enough, and big enough to not need him. You see, what Paul is saying is, is that that fact, that fact that while you were still a sinner... While you were still shaming him, while you were still turning your, uh, your nose towards him and putting your nose up, while you were still, as my daughter loves to do, rolling your eyes at him, while you were still ignoring him, while you were still doing your life and didn't care what his word said, he died for you. 
And the Apostle Paul is saying that needs to be the motivation for us to get on the altar as a living sacrifice and stop offering our right arm and our left arm and our right leg and our left leg. I feel like I'm singing Father Abraham. And, and, and all of these things, except for the fact that we just lay our lives down on the table and we say, here I am. Do with me as you wish, God, because you know what? I don't breathe unless you tell the angels of heaven to give me breath. That's how big and powerful you are. If we're honest with ourselves, suddenly we begin to realize the wonder of God's mercies when we begin to start to think of this every day of our lives. Not just at communion time. Not just at Easter, not just at Christmas, not just at Thanksgiving, but we lay our lives on the altar. And so the Apostle Paul starts with that very first powerful thing saying, listen, you got to realize where your mercies come from, friends. You got to realize who it is that is pulling the, pulling the strings. And it ain't you, and it isn't some guy sitting in Washington, D.C. or Harrisburg, PA today. Let me be frank. It is the God of our Bible that's pulling the strings. Oh, they all think they're pulling the strings and they think they're in charge. But they're far from it. Number two, we offer our whole selves to God as a living sacrifice. Here's what it says in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Second half of verse 1. To offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. The expression here, living sacrifice, is set against the backdrop of the Old Testament sacrifices. So you know what happened in the Old Testament, and if you don't, I'll explain it to you very quickly here. So in the Old Testament, when you wanted to pay for a sin, you had to kill an animal. And there was very, very strict laws. we read through some of them in our Bible study on Wednesday night. There's very strict laws about what that animal needed to be, how old it needed to be, and all this stuff, and it can't have any blemishes, and all these good things. And so you needed to kill an animal. And so now we come to the New Testament, and God, through his son, has taken care of that. He's, he's sacrificed the, the ultimate sacrifice once and for all. Nobody me and Pastor Landon do not have to come for your sins and offer a sacrifice for your sins any longer. We, that, that's, that's paid for. It's done. And so what the Apostle Paul is saying is now that it's done, now he wants us to be a living sacrifice. He wants us to crawl ourselves, make the decision to crawl ourselves up on this table and lay ourselves down and say, here I am. Here I am. That's how it works in the New Testament. The worshiper offers himself or herself to God. Just as the people of Israel presented their animal sacrifices to the priest, we are to hand over our bodies to God. Out of celebration for what God has done for us through his son, Jesus Christ, it goes back to the mercies. Do you see how it plays together? Because Jesus died on the cross, because God sent his son to die on the cross for our sins and showed us extreme mercy, the least we can do. Now, I'm talking about the least. Say, so use me. This isn't even the most. This is simple, at least in God's economy. When Paul uses the term body, he's implying the whole person or the physical means whereby the whole person is expressed. This presentation can be seen in much the same way that a defeated general of an army would hand over his sword, thereby demonstrating the surrender of his whole body. There's a, there's a word picture going on here. So you're the general of an army and, and you know they use sword, I'll, I'll use a gun. You have all of your guns and your, your army is defeated. You are the only one and there's 400 other people pointing guns at you. This is literally the general saying, take it and take me while you do it.
In this act of consecration, we give not our dead bodies, but rather we make a living sacrifice, which sounds hard to understand for us. A living sacrifice is a little bit more difficult to give than a dead sacrifice. A living sacrifice means something to us, right? It has intrinsic value. Dead sacrifices? Well, once the animal was dead, there's no value. They don't mean anything to us. Living sacrifices cost us something. Dead sacrifices cost nothing. It costs me something to climb up, you know, I'm, I almost knocked it off the stage. It costs me to climb up on this altar. You know, I don't know if you listened to what Ruth had to say earlier, and, and she didn't know I was going to, because I didn't know she was going to say it, so this is kind of fits perfectly. Ruth said, thank you for sometimes serving us when it even means that you take time away from your own family to serve us. It's part of growing up on it. And if I'm not willing to crawl up on it, then I better not preach that I should. You know, sometimes we, we, we get sideways about things and, and it's because I believe, it's because I believe that a lot of things that we get sideways about in our lives is because we're fighting God on this. We really are. It, it, it comes back to this. Am I going to truthfully crawl up? Am I truthfully going to say to him, here, you do anything you want, even at the cost of, of something that is dear to me? Am I willing to do that? Basically, what the Apostle Paul is saying here is, is that the picture he's giving is, is a blank piece of paper has been given to you. And so picture this, you know, picture that your bulletin is blank this morning and, and we hand you a blank bulletin and basically what God is saying is, is that you need to sign the bottom line and I'll fill in what happens on the top. That's the picture Paul's giving. It's not, it's not, it's not like we like to have it in, in, in the United States of America or even all over the world, right? We, we, we want to know the terms and conditions, right? I mean, does anybody go in and sign for a mortgage of a blank piece of paper? No, that would be dumb. Why would that be dumb? Because we don't know the terms and conditions. We could get really hammered for doing that. And so automatically we bring our American thinking into it and we say, no, no, God, you see, I got to need it. I got to know the terms and conditions. What the Apostle Paul is saying is, no, you don't really need to know the terms and conditions because you know the Father of which, who gives the terms and conditions and what has he done for you other than anything good. In reality. Whew. And so here's a blank piece of paper. Sign it. I'll take care of the rest. I'll, I'll make up the, what's going to happen with your life. It's powerful. Third, we offer ourselves to God all the time. We offer ourselves to God all the time. When it says to offer in verse 1, it's a verb. It's a constant thing. Not once and done. Offer, then offer yourself again because living implies life. And so here's what the Apostle Paul literally built into this whole, this whole thing. I mean, I am sometimes amazed as I study the Word of God because it's like he knows us because <laughs> he does. 
And so what the Apostle Paul built into this, 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 altar, this altar scene is this. He knows that you're a living sacrifice. So as a living sacrifice, what do you have a choice that the dead animal doesn't have a choice of? You have a choice whether you're going to stay here or not, right? I mean, the last time I, f- I checked, and I don't mean to offend anybody, but dead animals can't get up and off of the altar. They're dead, like dead, dead, like no heartbeat. They ain't moving. A living sacrifice can choose. And so on Monday, I might climb up on that altar. On Tuesday, man, he might be asking me to miss something that I really want to be a part of, even though ministry could be great if I went to this thing. And so I'm going to choose to come off the altar on Tuesday, and I'm going to serve my own interest. (laughs) And then Wednesday, I'll climb back on and I'll be the good church boy that I'm supposed to be, the good pastor that I'm supposed to be. And then Thursday, he might ask me to do something in ministry that I, you know, I can't stand doing. And so I'll climb back off this baby and I'll do my own thing and I'll just, you know, and then Friday, I'll climb back on. And so the Apostle Paul literally built it in that every day, Every day, we have a choice. When you get up in the morning, you can either climb on it and give it them all, or you can put your right arm in. You can put your left arm in. You can put your right leg in or your left leg in. And I'm going to say this with all the love I can muster. You will not get the blessings of God. Unless you put your whole self in. I hear people after people after people who are frustrated. And meanwhile, this is them. God, I've given you my right arm, man. And he said, what about your heart? Man, God, I've given you my left arm. What more do you want? You notice that because of the way our bodies are built, I was, I was just thinking about this earlier today. The only way to give them our heart is to be on the altar. If I give them my left arm, my heart ain't on the altar. Right arm, heart ain't on the altar. You can picture legs, heart ain't on the altar. I got to lay my whole self on Wow. And so the Apostle Paul is, is building this in and he's saying, listen, I didn't just make this like some kind of command that happens one time. No, this is an everyday command. You know, it never ceases to amaze me that we've developed a kind of selective Christianity that allows us to deeply and sincerely involved in worship and church activities and yet almost, almost, live totally pagan in the day and day business of our lives. And what's even sadder is, is that many people don't even see the discrepancy. So what? For instance, worship is not just a church activity, it's a life activity. Worship is not something that is done after we leave here. It's an all-the-time occurrence. Worship is not once-a-week event. A.W. Tozer wrote these words. It's pretty powerful. I believe it'll be on the screen. Yep. If you will, if you will not worship God seven days a week, you do not worship him the one day a week that you do, supposedly. Got to put your whole self in. Now, you can worship him with your right arm. You can worship him with your left arm. You can worship him with your right foot. You can worship him. I'm getting my right and left right now. My left leg. 
but has my heart changed? Here's two specific acts of being all in a living sacrifice for him, not playing hokey pokey with our Christianity. So if you want to know, how do I do this? What, what is it that shows me whether I'm doing this or not? Here they are. First, do not conform to the world. Now, I'm going to unpack that a little bit. Don't, don't lose me yet. Here's what it says. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good and pleasing, perfect will. Now, I, I purposely left it until this point to tell you the backdrop of what's being written here in Romans 12. Let me read this to you. And please, while I'm reading it, I want you to think, how much of this relates to our day today? Paul is writing this to believers. Living in the capital of the Roman Empire, a society characterized by ruthless living, pleasure-loving, cynical, superstitious people. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Take the characteristics of Rome, mix them with all the stressors of today, and you know what I mean by stressors of today? And you got America 2021 staring you right in the face. Tell me again how he didn't plan for this to happen thousands of years ago. When the Apostle Paul sat down in a city that was living like America is living today and wrote these words to us, and to a Roman church who was facing the very things we face today? That's, that's right, it just fell, it fell together, that's right. It, didn't, it wasn't him. Come on. Bishop Bruce said it this way in a national ministry team to us as pastors this past week and lay delegates who were there, not all lay delegates are invited, national ministry team is a select people. And I want you to hear the end of this quote before you react to this quote, so please understand where he's coming from. He said that Pastor Jeff Martin, one of our pastors, said something to him several years ago. And this is what Pastor Jeff Martin said. Too many of us are better Americans than we are Christians. That's not the fault of culture. I want you to understand that. This is Bishop Bruce speaking. That's exactly what culture does. Culture is supposed to rip us away from this. Culture is supposed to take the truth away from us. Culture is supposed to make us question things. That is the call of culture, friends. So we, we, we yell and scream or get angry or get frustrated, and, and I'm with you. We get frustrated by all these things, but why are we surprised? That is the call of culture, as Bishop Bruce says. It doesn't matter where you look in the Bible. Here's the end of Bishop Bruce's quote to us as a ministry team. The culture has always tried to pressure God's people to conform that's precisely why in the midst of all the crud that was hidden a fan in the Roman Empire, Paul wrote these words. You don't got to follow, is what Paul's saying. You can set a new blaze, but you got to know what's in here to set it. Woo. See, we don't have to follow culture because culture's job, they're doing what they're supposed to do. We all, we, 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 we are ashamed of it sometimes and we say, where is truth going and what is all this thing? And that's good. We should be fighting for truth. That's why we're showing the movie we are in a few weeks. But here's what I want you to realize. That is culture's job. That is who, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> Wow. That is who they are. That's who they are. They are Christless. They don't understand that their mercies, that their, their sins have been paid yet. 
That's why a group of 36 of us sat in the fellowship hall yesterday. Because we're, we're trying to figure out ways to reach these people who don't know they need Jesus, who need Jesus. So, of course, they're living lives that don't know about this Bible. They don't know about this, this word. In fact, the speaker yesterday said these words to us, and, and I, want, I want you to understand this. This is in, I believe he was in Lancaster when this happened. It might have been Boyertown, but he served two churches, and I'm not sure which one it was at. But literally, he was asked, what does he do for a living? This is in your, your, your county, your county, or close to your county. He was asked what he does for a living, and he said to the lady, I'm a pastor. And she said, what do they do? This is in your county. Someone didn't even know what the word pastor meant. The culture is not there to bring the truth of the matter. That's our job. And so in the midst of this mess where people are talking about superstitions, they're pleasure-loving, they're cynical, they're mad, they're ticked off, the Apostle Paul sits down thousands of years ago and writes these words. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, to the Roman church. Now we can kick the ways of the world to the curb. We can do that but it still won't be the kind of change that God is longing for in this verse. Here's what I mean. Here's what we usually do when we're trying to kick the world to the curb. If, I, if I'm trying to kick the world to the curb in my own life and I see that my tongue is getting a little loose, I say to myself, okay, self, I'm going to do something on the outer part of myself to make sure my tongue is reined in. But that still doesn't fix the problem. Wait, what are you, what are you talking about? You, you're not conforming to the world anymore. You're not using your tongue to destroy people. Yeah, you're right. I fixed the outer problem. To you all, it looks like I fixed the problem. But to God, it looks like I just played the game. Because I never once changed my heart. I still feel like cursing that person out. And in my mind, I may. See, that's what the Apostle Paul's talking about here. When you no longer conform to the world, this isn't about changing outward behaviors. No, this is about changing your heart, which will change outward behaviors. But until you change your heart, you're always going to have the outward behaviors. You want to stop using words that you don't want to use anymore and you feel bad when you use them and you, you tear people down with it? You want to stop doing that? Change your heart. Who says that? Jesus. What comes out of this is out of my heart. What comes out of this is out of my heart. And so the Apostle Paul says this, and he says, listen, don't conform. Here's another way to put it. As one of my brothers this past week put it on Thursday in his devotional to our, to our team, almost every school board in America is fighting over something, right? And come on, let's not, let's not act like we have our heads in the sand and we don't know what's going on. They're fighting over stuff. You know, my hometown is fighting over it right now. My dad's running for the school board. They're fighting. Mass, no mass. Some other things that they're teaching in the school that I'm not going to mention this morning. They're fighting. Our hearts break, right? We get mad. We want to fight with them, right? When was the last time your heart broke that 90% of the kids that go to your school district don't come to church? Oh, they'll break over masks and no masks and vaccines and no vaccines and other things. But when was the last time that your heart broke over something God cares about? The fact that we're one generation away from losing the entire 
church. You want to not conform to the world? Care about what he cares about. Oh, I'm not telling you not to fight your fights. But how about you have as broken of heart as much about that kind of stuff as you do about the other stuff? What do you do then? And trust me, sitting there on Thursday when I heard this devotional, (laughs) I probably had some of the feelings you're having right now. John, to this guy who's giving the devotional, you can sit down now. You've stepped on my toes enough. Ninety percent of the folks that go to Muhlenberg Elementary School, Middle School, and High School do not go to church. Do not go to church. And we want to go and make a ruckus. And God's heart breaks. So will you climb up on the altar? What will you do? Listen, there are good people, Christ-following people on the school board here and in other places, but here's the deal, friends. Culture will never care about you and I spiritual growth. They don't give a lick. They don't care. They could care less if you're walking next to Jesus, with Jesus. They don't even know who Jesus is other than a curse word. It's your job to be Jesus to them. To climb up on the altar and say, I will serve you. And even when that means I have to swallow my beliefs sometimes and love on people because it's going to be kingdom building instead of my agenda building. I must do it. I heard this culture explained with a few statements and the last one caught my attention. And here it is. This, this, was, this was in my studies this past week. God is not needed until a need arises. Do you know that? This past week we were, we were educated by someone who's a whole lot smarter than me who takes time to study people and know people and this new culture, this new culture coming out, they have this belief that God is not needed until he is needed. You know, it dawned on me while I sat in that meeting, how many times, Pastor Landon, have we said in the last six weeks, God is a genie to some of us? Only needed when we're needed. Maybe we aren't as far off our rockers as you think we might be. There's a culture out there right now that's living a life that says, I only need God when he's needed. Are you making an impact to a God who is a part of their lives every day of their lives, whether he's needed or not? Or are you making an impact elsewhere? I mean, it hit me straight across. When, when my brother said that to us this past Thursday, I was like, been preaching that for four weeks. Good to know I'm right. Paul reminds us of an important point in Philippians chapter 3, verse 20. And here's what it is. But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the point that Paul's making in Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Look, friends, we don't belong here. In fact, the Bible calls us, in another scripture passage, in Peter, aliens. We're just passing through. But the goal as we pass through is to make an impact on this culture and to make an impact on people that they would actually 
come to know Jesus. We don't belong here. And people look at us with funny heads and not funny heads, funny faces. But do you notice what the Apostle Paul says to the church in Philippi? What is our goal here? Our citizenship isn't, is in heaven, but what do we eagerly await? A Savior. I don't know about you, but I, there are days where I'm like, Lord, if that new newscast that just happened on Fox 43, or that, that's, that's a station in York County, or WFMZ, um, or whatever else, if that new newscast doesn't bring you back, I don't know what will. I mean, how much more farther do we got to go down, God? He has one more to get saved, and you might be the one to bring him to Christ. Second, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Here's what he says in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, the second half of it. He goes through, do not be conformed to this pattern of this world any longer. We dove into that. But then he says, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Ever notice that our thoughts go to here and now and the most recent thing in our head? It's natural, right? Like even as I'm preaching, you're thinking of things in your head that are just right here and now. They're right in your face. And here's what happens when we, when we think that way. Here's what happens when we continually think that way. We can't see the forest from the trees. And so what the Apostle Paul is literally telling the Roman church is, there are some times where you've got to say, time out. And you've got to step back. And look at all the glorious things that have happened and what God has done in your life so that you can be refreshed in your mind. So your mind can be transformed. So it's, <coughs> it's not thinking about all this junk <coughs> that's right here in your face. Sometimes you've got you've to step back and, and, and because that's the way our mind, because who controls our mind most of the time? The person who's our enemy, so he wants us to think of it. You have been offended today, so you have every right to walk out of here upset. You have every right to do this. You have every right, and he keeps on firing these bad, bad messages. <coughs> can tell I didn't preach last week. And meanwhile, we get more and more fired up. And so what the Apostle Paul says to this group of Christians in the Roman church that is watching their world fall apart, that is watching people go down superstitious avenues, that is watching people become cynical, that is watching people tear each other at the bone, that is watching people destroy each other and not care about the kingdom of God, what he says to them is call a time out. And renew your mind. Because when you're dealing with God, you're not going to get, um, let, me, let me get this right. When you're dealing with God, you've got to get rid of all the junk that fills your head from this world. Otherwise, you'll be led to, to believe that somehow, some way, you have no hope. You have no chance. You're destined to always be who you are, always are. And you can get there fast. So fast. You can feel like a failure. You can feel like you've not making the difference that you were once called to make. 
You can feel like you, have, you don't even make a difference and that it doesn't really matter where you are, that no one really cares. And it's so untrue. But oh, how Satan takes us to those times. You see, God's doing something up here and we're all looking down. You ever notice that when you're, when you're really upset and you're really ticked, you don't make eye contact? Or even when you're really frustrated about something. Like, you know, sometimes I'll have something going on in my head. <laughs> um, and it's not just something going on in my head. Like something might have happened over here and then I'll go into a room and some congregation member, God love them, they'll come up to me and they'll start talking to me and, and they don't realize what just happened in the other room. And it's, it was bad. It was something that, that somebody said or something hurtful that was done. And so what do I do? I don't make eye contact with that congregation member. I sit there like this while they're talking to me. Yep, uh-huh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yep, uh-huh, mm-hmm. Yep, okay, thank you, and then I walk away. Why do we do that? Because looking up takes work. Because sometimes we have to work up, look up to renew our minds. Sometimes we have to look up to, to see God for who he is. There's some thought-provoking questions here, and here's what, it, here's what they are. Are you all in? I'm not particularly asking about your right or left or right or left arm or leg. I'm asking, and I'm not even asking about your head. I'd encourage us not to play hokey-pokey with our stewardship of what God has given to us, friends. Be all in. Are you ready to put your whole self into the arms of God? Are you ready to commit your all to Jesus? Are you? If I had a last sermon, it's, as far as I know it's not, this would be it. This past week, we did something different, or it was the last week, I guess it was last week. We did something different at Ministry Council. We actually sang praise songs at Ministry Council, two of them. Well, we sang two hymns. And you say, well, a whip-de-doo. <laughs> it's great. Then I called a timeout from the meeting and I said, listen, I, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go around the room and I want you to list off praises from July 1st, 2014 at Faith Church till today. Now, why do you say, did you pick July 1st, 2014? That was my first day, but it wasn't all about me. I didn't want, I, great, wonderful. We had a great VBS in 1988. That's great. We can celebrate that. But I didn't want to celebrate that that night. I wanted to focus on the last so many years. I didn't know how it was going to go all day. I was like, nah, we shouldn't do this. Satan was jumping all over me. You're stupid for thinking this is going to work. Why are you going to do this? Why are you going to do this? And so I had Landon be the, Pastor Landon be the secretary that time, and he filled up two sheets of notebook paper of praises of how God has moved at Faith Church. That was your pastor's desperate, 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 desperate plea to call a timeout. Because I was seeing all the crap. I was hearing a lot of junk. And I was beginning to believe some of the very things I just said to you. And so I went to our leadership and I said, listen, I got to call a timeout. Tell me some good things that you've seen. You have to do the same. Get your head out of the junk. Quit listening to all the voices. 
and ask God, what are you doing? How can I see you? Renew your mind. I'm going to end with this scripture reading from 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 8 through 18. It's from the message paraphrase, but I want you to listen to it because it speaks volumes to what we're going through. Here's what it says. We've been surrounded and battered by troubles, but we're not demoralized. We're not sure what to do, but we know that God knows what to do. We've been spiritually terrorized, but God hasn't left our side. We've been thrown down, but we haven't been broken. What they did to Jesus, they do to us. Trial and torture, mockery and murder. What Jesus did among them, he does in us. He lives. Our lives are at a constant risk for Jesus' sake, which makes Jesus' life all the more evident in us. <coughs> While we're going through the worst, you're getting in on the best. We're not keeping this quiet, not on your life. Just like the psalmist who wrote, I believe it, so I said it. We say what we believe, and what we believe is, is that the one who raised up the master Jesus will just as certainly raise us up with you alive. <coughs> Every detail works to your advantage and to God's glory. More and more grace. More and more people. More and more praise. So we're not giving up. How could we? Even though on the outside, it often looks like things are falling apart on us. On the inside, where God is making new life, not a day goes by without his unfolding grace. These hard times are small potatoes compared to the coming good times. The lavish celebration prepared for us. There's far more here than meets the eye. The things we see now are here today and gone tomorrow. But the things we can't see, oh, they will last forever. Faith Church, it is so. It is so. We are going through small potatoes compared to the great celebration that's coming. May we lift our eyes to the one who can renew our minds and do it quickly. I'm just going to share this one personal testimony. It took me a matter of five weeks to go from a good position to a position of seeing all the crud. Five weeks. That's why I was gone last week. I had to get out of town. Five weeks. Some of you have been holding stuff in for way longer. Let it go. Look to the one who can renew your mind. Because you know what will happen? You'll find out what his good and pleasing will is for your life. It's exactly what the Apostle Paul says. You'll find out that he has a plan for you. Let's pray. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this day. Thank you for this stewardship message of getting up on the altar and not playing hokey pokey with you. Help us, Lord, as we, as we think about this message, may we remember the words in 2 Corinthians. This being the message paraphrase, it's different in our translations. But that, Lord, whatever we face, whatever we came in here with, whatever junk is going on in our minds is small potatoes compared to what you have for us. Help us to focus on that, Lord. Help us to turn our minds to you. As a church, corporately, because, Lord, we sometimes read these scriptures in Romans chapter 12, and we want to apply them to each of our lives, and we should. But we also have to remember that the Apostle Paul and the Holy Spirit wrote this to a church and said as a community, we must come together and focus and re-change uh, re our minds. 
He didn't necessarily mean it for every individual believer. He meant it that we would encourage one another to climb up on the altar. Thank you for listening to this message. We hope it encouraged you in your walk with Christ. You can find out more about Faith Church at wearefaithec.com. 